This week on Punch Mountain, I hope you're not afraid of the dark, because if those things out there don't get you, the 90s video editing effects will. Jab a needle full of morphine into your tear ducts because we're watching Pitch Black. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies, not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I'm joined, as always, by your podcast lion, Mr. David Hotta. David, how are you? Hello, my fellow podcast lion. How are you, my friend? <laughs> Pretty good. Mm, let me take a drink of the lion's cup. <laughs> when you said, let's invest in chalices mm-hmm. with our names on them, very expensive chalices, I was like, it seems like a waste of money. But David, it's all I use now. It's all I drink out of. Well, but when we have the mid-year tournament, the Lions Cup, and these movies vie for the coveted cup, it's going to feel really nice. Okay, again, I don't, I'm not on board with your plan. I just like <laughs> drinking out of a giant golden chalice. That brings us to our sponsor today, chalicebros.com. How do you and your bro really bro down if you're not broing out of a chalice? Chalicebros.com. God, if that becomes a thing, I'm going to fucking kill myself. <laughs> what, chalices? I'll bring chalices back. <laughs> no, like ch- like a friendship chalice. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and I will, absolutely. Like, uh, what's a better gift than naming a star after someone? I know, a fucking chalice. (laughs) All right, jokes aside, though, you're telling me in your 20s you wouldn't have had, you wouldn't have loved, like, a personalized drinking cup? That's what I'm saying, David, is that (laughs) someone out there is going to find some dummies that want chalice. Anyway, David, uh, we're talking about Pitch Black. Yeah, talking about that 2000 classic. That's classic from the year 2000. It's very hard to say this, uh, but yeah, it's going to be that classic from the year 2000. This is Punch Mountain's introduction to Mr. Vin Diesel. This is the first Diesel film we're doing. Yeah, we wanted us. We wanted a star turn. We wanted some action hero for this episode, and we thought, you know what? Let's let's figure out what old Vin Diesel started his career with. We're like, let's get Jackie Chan, and we go, no, too good. We want someone who's just got it inexplicably and it's mr vin diesel i like vin diesel actually how do you feel about mr vin i i thought i didn't like him in fact that's the whole reason i stayed away from this movie for 22 years this was actually uh watching this movie for this episode was the first time i was watching this movie Mm -hmm. because i just i had hang-ups in my head about vin diesel i had hang-ups in my head about the director david tui i had my hang-ups in my head about the 90s action style so there was a lot of stuff that kind of prevented me from watching this movie and prevented me from enjoying this movie. But I'll I'll do a little teaser for you for the rest of the episode here, Mac. I watched this movie twice, you know, as I do getting ready for these episodes, you know, just to do do some research and what have you. Mm -hmm. The adventure that I went on with this movie from the start of the first viewing to the end of the second viewing, when this is all said and done, this might be my favorite episode. Ah, I mean, you're really jinxing it, David, because I was planning on phoning this bad boy in. Those are my favorite episodes because then I take over. okay. Every show is a competition. Don't forget that. I had fun watching this thing. I, I had seen this movie before, but I did not. I thought I remembered most of it, although there were some key things that I, as we'll talk about later, I was like, whoa, I didn't remember that. It was about halfway through this movie, kind of wincing at several things when I came upon the realization. David, you know that phrase, uh, you know, this leaves something to be desired? Of course, yes. Everything in this movie leaves something to be desired. It's not that this movie is bad. Again, it was it's a fun movie. I had fun watching it. The fact that this was a theatrical release, like, you know, its budget was like, what, 20-something million? 23, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it doubled it at the box, at least the domestic box office. The time when it was released, like, no stars. Like, Vin Diesel. God, a boiler room's Vin Diesel at that yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> the Iron Giant. Saving Private Ryan, uh, Vin Diesel. But yeah, he had not made Fast and Furious. He had not made Triple X. 
this was kind of, I don't know if this was his star turn or not, but it was something in his career. It feels like the makers of this movie wanted it to be. Yeah. And I think it was to the detriment of the movie. There's nothing in this film that the movie nails. You know what I mean? Like, okay. 100%. So the sound design wasn't great, but this was, no, they nail nothing. Everything Mm -hmm. is a miss. You add up all these misses, and I got to say, it's still a hit. However, where is it going to fall on the mountain? Let's find out. Yeah. Before we crash land a spaceship on a dangerous planet overrun by nighttime creatures, let's crash land our friendship on a planet overrun by empathy. David Hada, how are you? I'm doing quite well, Mac. I'm stressed out for reasons that I've created for myself. My time management skills have been terrible, but on the upside, I beat a video game this weekend God, for the first time in. Damn it, When was David. the last time you beat a video game, Mac? Fuck you. You know that's like a weakness of mine. I continue to accrue systems, but I do not spend any time playing them. What did you beat? I beat a game called Watch Dogs 2. It's sort of a, uh, you're playing a hacker and you're trying to take down the man, essentially. Mm -hmm. But the only reason I wanted to play it was because the map, it's sort of, it's an open world game and the map is laid out to look like the Bay Area. And I just was curious to see how close they got a lot of stuff. And they got a lot of stuff really close. So I was just enjoying exploring this world and I had been exploring it for a couple months And then I was like, you know, I should probably play the missions on this game. So finally I started playing it and I finally beat a game for the first time in maybe 10 years. David, I think I read like 20 books this year. I'd spend the year being completely fucking illiterate if I could just have the time to play and beat one game. You know what I mean? We should do like, that should be our thing. It'd be like uh, the parent trap, but we just trade like the derelict trap. Yeah. Yeah. Except uh, stay the hell away from my wife, David. That's all I got to (laughs) say. Oh, right. Look, that's the whole reason to swap interests is to go after the other person's significant other. So how are you doing, Mac Blake? <laughs> I just told you, David, I'm garbage. <laughs> no, I just, uh, I don't want to, I just bought a Nintendo Switch and I have yet to play it. I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait until I got a lot of things to do, a lot of things I'm going to play. I'm going to put this over here and I'm not going to touch it until, you know, I, I'm off of work officially for the holidays. And then Nintendo Switch is looking at me like, you better fucking play me. I'm like, no, I will. This time is different. That's what you said to your PlayStation 3. Yeah, I'll get to it. I'll play The Last of Us. Sure you will. It's been out for years, motherfucker. Do you have games yet for the Switch? Yes. I have got, What are you mad at me uh, for? I'm like crying here. I've already loaded up on... It's just it's like, just buy one game and play that back. But no, I have... um, uh, The first game I bought, uh, it came with a Mario Kart. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, oh, that's fun. Yeah, so I mean, look, you, you, you play one race, that's it. You don't need to like... I don't need to win the whole cup or whatever. Yeah. I also bought like a Ninja Turtles game, David. I think it was called Shredder's Shredder's Revenge or something. Actually, that's one of the better games of the year. That's a lot. Oh, of fun. well, there you go. What yeah. do you know? Why Shredder's getting revenged? What did the turtles do to him? They um, they dented his mask. Oh my goodness! That he needs that yeah. to keep his head in. Well, yeah, he was he was gonna submit it for the maskies. Oh no, for... that's he's he loves those awards. Yeah, excellence in mask work. I have some serious reservations about playing. Do you play a Shredder in this game? You do. You're getting your revenge. Okay, thank God, because I was about to say, I, I'm siding with Shredder on this one. Uh, speaking of revenge, David, let's get revenge on this movie. You ready to do this thing? Mac, I think we're going in. Okay, David, what is your history with this movie? I believe, using my listening skills, you said this is the first time you've seen it. That is correct. Uh, this movie came out in 2000. That was when I was probably at my most pretentious when it comes to watching movies. Mm. I was very much, well, because I, I was in school at the time. I was formulating a lot of my opinions, a lot of which were just really uh, dog shit. But this was one of those movies that I kind of avoided because I had, like I said, you know, I, I, I had baggage with it. Like this was post Saving Private Ryan post or, you know, around the same time as Boiler Room. So it very clearly felt like a Vin Diesel star vehicle. And I just wasn't a fan of what I had seen of Vin Diesel. So I was sort of 
turned off by that. David Toohey is the writer and director of this movie. Let's pull up his 90s because he's written some real good movies. He's written some movies. Let's put it that way. Because well, I thought he wrote The Fugitive. He did write The Fugitive. And then let's pull up the rest of his 90s uh, okay. uh, output. Because he's one of those names that like in the 90s, it felt like there was like a dozen guys who just wrote everything. And David Toohey was one of those. He did The Fugitive. You're absolutely right. That was awesome. The movie slaps. <laughs> then he does Terminal Velocity, mm. Waterworld, mm-hmm. The Arrival. <laughs> G.I. Jane. Uh, G.I. Jane's fine. You know, by the time we get to Pitch Black, he's already put out enough things that I would consider stinkers at the time for me to kind of be turned off by the whole thing. Uh, This is a very long way for me to say this is my first time watching it, like I said, and I was going in from a deficit. I still had baggage in my head that I thought I was going to have to overcome. What is your history with Pitch Black, Mac Blake? David, I'm surprisingly familiar with the Riddick verse. Oh, is that so? I have seen all of the movies. I have not seen the... Peter Chung animated one. See, I've seen this movie, and I think I didn't even know that Vin Diesel was in it. Somebody was like, like, Chronicles of Riddick is a sequel to Pitch Black. And I was like, wait, what? And I like, I went back and, and watched it at that point, which, I mean, he's arguably not the main character in this. Mm. And then the second one is Chronicles of Riddick, and the third one is just Riddick, which, God, I love. Vin Diesel continues to be an innovator in the sequel naming, <laughs> at least in franchises that, that have sequel naming innovations. Oh, he's reaching Rambo heights with the, uh, oh, <laughs> with the names about of Rambo. Because, of course, it's First Blood, then mm-hmm. Rambo, First Blood Part Two, then Rambo right. 3. And then Rambo. Just Rambo. And then John Rambo. First Blood Part Five. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fifth Blood. Which, by the way, Chronicles of Riddick is insane. Like, imagine if you took the movie Alien, David, and then the sequel to the movie Alien was the movie Star Wars. That is the like the trajectory here. They're like, oh, we got a real, like, all-time great sci-fi character in our hands with Riddick. And it's like, do you? I mean, maybe one day, but do you right now? And they're like, yes, we do. Let's skip the other stuff and go straight to a space opera. All right, so let's give people the the back of the box description. Oh, real quick, David, how did you watch this movie? (laughs) I watched it on Tubi. You watched on Tubi for free? I did. I paid a little bit of money so I wouldn't have to watch commercials. But when I was renting it digitally, I saw that there was a director's cut of it. And I was like, oh, please let me watch the director's cut. But then I was like, that wouldn't, it's not the same movie. But God, I'm so curious as to what is on the unrated director's cut. Maybe that's something we can follow up in our our, uh, our wrap-up episode. Do you know what the running time was compared to this one? Three hours longer, David. It was, it was bad. Oh, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was, uh, it was a shot in real time. So it takes an entire, <laughs> all the cu- there's no cuts. It's just a single oh. shot. It's really weird. Uh, David Tui's a maniac. It's evil versus evil in an electrifying showdown that USA Today calls the best excuse to root for the bad guy since Arnold in the original Terminator. The daylight can burn you, but the darkness will kill you. From the mind of the writer of The Fugitive comes the <laughs> pulse-pounding sci-fi thriller Pitch Black. Experience the psychological terror when a group of marooned passengers must face a pack of terrifying creatures whose only weakness is the light. With little power and dwindling numbers, the doomed passengers turn to a vicious convict, Vin Diesel, with an appetite for destruction and eerie eyes that can guide them through the darkness. 2,104 minutes, directed by David Toohey, rated R for scary violence and gore and language. Eerie eyes? Well, let's, well, Mac, what are you feeling about this one? I, the, well, let's start at the beginning. It's evil versus evil. This idea that we're rooting for the bad guy on this one. Did you? I didn't really get that vibe. The back of the box helped me understand that. Like it took me, it really did take me the second viewing for a lot of this movie to click into place with me. Mm. But that is one thing that was lost on me the first time I watched it. 
I mean, it's evil versus evil. I mean, he's definitely like a criminal, but we never see him do anything terrible in this. Mm -hmm. Also, the best excuse to root for the bad guy since Arnold in the original Terminator. What fucking psycho at USA Today was rooting for (laughs) the Terminator in the first Terminator movie? What, did you want him to gun down Sarah Connor in recent just doom our future? You sick fuck. I just want to see what happens. I did. God damn it. What piece of shit Trump voter uh, wrote that thing? <laughs> scary violence. That's so funny. Rated R for scary violence. Yeah. Except, you know what, though? I, uh, that makes sense. There's fun violence or whatever. Yeah. I found this back of the box helpful. I, I really did. Like, because, uh, again, I, a, lot of, a lot of this movie was lost to me the first time. The back of the box helped clear some stuff up for me. There's something we haven't talked about yet, and it's the, uh, I keep wanting to call these things aliens, but it's their planet. <laughs> this is a colonizer talk. Hey, what are you, uh, what are you aliens doing on this planet? Uh, we hey, live beat here. it. Yeah, get out of here, aliens. <laughs> we'll talk more about those later. All right, let's get in. Let's talk about this thing. Yeah, let's start it. Interscope Presents used to be Polygram Presents, but that got bought out, so we missed the fun little logo that used to come in front of that. But we open on credits over a spaceship floating through space. We then hear the bassy tones of Vin Diesel, grumbling as only he can. Diesel plays the outlaw Riddick, who can't sleep during space travel because cryogenic sleep doesn't work if your brain is in beast mode. His voiceover describes some of his fellow passengers snug in their sleep tubes. We got a holy man, a prospector, some pilgrims, and other expendables. Uh, We also learned that Riddick is being taken back to prison by William Johns, played by Cole Hauser. I mean, if you got Vin Diesel, you got to open a movie with him and be like, what's going on? <laughs> Young Vin Diesel, where he's not sure of his voice as a performer. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and slap a voiceover on the beginning of this. A little shaky, a little shaky there. From the very beginning of this movie, again, I'm, I'm coming into this movie from a deficit. I'm being very skeptical and cynical about it. And the voiceover throws me off. I'm, I'm fixated for a good portion of the first act on this voiceover and I can't get over it to the point where after the movie, I look up the script to see if this was in the original script. And like the first couple drafts did not have this. Mm. So again, you know, if you want to operate under the thesis I'm working under, which is this movie was one thing, and then they sort of retconned it to make it more of a Vin Diesel vehicle, and it hurts the overall product. This is one of those things, because we don't need it. We, you know, we really just, the script starts with the cryotubes opening up, and that's plenty of action to start with. So already from the beginning, I'm thrown off. Well, let me ask you this. Is that something you read that this thing was adjusted to be more of a Vin Diesel vehicle? Or is that just a vibe you get? That's just a vibe I get. Now, I might have read read something 22 years ago that stayed with me, but I can't recall it now. But it was always just that sort of like, you know, when you're watching Access Hollywood back in 2000 and you get a feeling that Vin Diesel is the hot new pick to click or whatever, you kind of see them bending over backwards to make it work. I ask that because I also get that vibe. I mean, like, you know, he's not the main character of this movie. It's uh, Caroline Fry, or excuse me, Caroline Fry, played by Rada Mitchell here. Yeah, I mean, that whole, like, description, like, root for the bad guy or whatever. I was like, what? I guess so. I mean, he's your badass, but he's not the team lead. And they made it all about the badass. It's kind of like when X-Men kind of marginalized Cyclops. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, oh, I bored myself to death just now, but I'm alive. I resurrected myself. Okay. Also, David, we get some uh, computer-generated imagery in this movie that is uh, not great. Oh, it, okay. Uh, it, it looks real real bad. It looks real 1990s. And David, there's no more year that's more pure 90s than 2000, probably. So Yeah, the CGI, it does its best, honestly. Mm. Like, I'll, I'll cape for it a little bit because it does a really good thing with its limitations throughout the movie. We're like, you know, it's, it's going to be 2000. The CGI is not going to be great. So either put it in really dark environs or really bright environs. So you don't quite get the contrast. You don't quite see how bad it is. So throughout this movie, it's either really bright or really dark, and it works for me. I just think in this beginning, 
like uh, there was like a bit of a music swell. I think that opening shot of the spaceship. Oh, what is the spaceship's name? It was kind of funny. It was not the hunter gatherer. It was the like what? The hunter Gratzner. There we go. <laughs> the no Andrea Doria. Is that one of their friends? Is that David Tui's but uh, David Tui's buddy? That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> But you get this opening shot, and I think it's supposed to be like breathtaking, and it just kind of looks like, you know, like a PlayStation 1 loading graphic or whatever. But David, very quickly, we get our first kind of action set piece here. It's a hull breach. Oh, shoot. This is going to be where micrometeoroids, try saying that, rip through the hull. They're killing the sleeping captain and waking up docking pilot Carolyn Fry, played by Rada Mitchell, and First Officer Owens, played by Simon Burke. Turns out they've also been knocked off course and are headed straight for a strange planet. Fry wants to jettison the passengers and stabilize their landing, but Owen sabotages her attempt. The ship crashes into the planet pretty soon after that with about 11-ish survivors. Yeah, I did the math on that. I think I think it's 11-ish. I agree with that. It's kind of hard to tell. You did the omens work on that one. I really couldn't have cared. It was just like, yeah, there's more than four. So after the initial hall breach, the sleepy pods open up. Carolyn Fry falls out, and then First Officer Owens falls on top of her. And he goes, why did I fall on you? Which I was like, why are you wasting dialogue time by being like, a felon? Just to just stop. Uh, I don't know what accent that was. I think he was British. He was like, oh, why did I fall on you? Why isn't there zero gravity, right? Oh, okay. That's why he's asking. It still bothered me a little bit. Especially like the first piece of dialogue in this movie is a groaner. I just was like, ah, we can do better. Yeah. Um, again, referring to the original script on this one, you know, the, the movie starts with this when they're all collapsing out of the tubes. And there's a part they cut out. Where Owens is, you know, falls on top of Fry, and Fry is like, "Get off me, Owens!" And he's like, "Who's Owens?" Oh, I guess I'm Owens. You know, cryo sleep does a lot to your brain and stuff like that. It's like, I'm glad you cut it. I know, I know, I shouldn't be fixated on stuff that's not in the movie, but it gives you an idea of like what the script wanted to be and what it ended up being. Well, this whole scene bothered me, and I think it's because you know, like they they wake up, the spaceship is crash landing to the point where Fry is like, "I'm gonna, I don't want to fucking die here. I'm gonna jettison the passengers." Like, blow all these passengers off into space. Owens, he's not a full-on clown, but he's a bit of a clown. Like, he's just a bit of a goof, kind of. Mm. I don't think he's trying to be. I don't know if it's just, like, a bad acting choice or bad casting choice. But the scene was not tense. Or is, at mm-hmm. least it was not as tense as it, it could have been. There's a lot of this movie that shifts gears while it's in motion. Because, again, you know, putting this hypothesis that I that I have over the movie... It felt like the producers wanted to kind of scale back a lot of the intensity or a lot of the violence in mm. order to make it more general audiences friendly, in order to make this a Vin Diesel star vehicle. And again, they hurt themselves a lot by by scaling some of the stuff back. I also got the feeling that Owens didn't know what he was doing, which I think if you're going to have a scene where it's like these people are like doing their, you know, their best, they're trying everything they can to save the ship to the point where your um your docking pilot i guess where she's like uh, we're fucked i'm going to dump all these passengers into outer space or into the atmosphere to their certain doom like that's how fucked we are just like i don't know it was a little too casual or something like that well let's talk about that mac you know as you're sitting there wearing your shirt that said thanos had some good ideas how do you feel about her logic on this one trying to dump the passengers in order to level out i mean a little panicky the fact that she was like, I don't want to die. Fuck these people. It just happened so fast. There was no like, hey, Owens, do you think jettisoning the people would help? And she just went there so fast, so quickly. It was, I didn't even really get the time to kind of measure its emotional weight or whatever. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Because like you said, you know, there could have been, you know, you slap a half a page of dialogue on there when it's like, I'm going to do it. Don't you do it. I'm going to do it. And we need to do it. Don't you, you know, something, build it, you know, artificially, however you have to do it. 
But yeah, you never got a sense that she even tried other stuff where it was like, you know, you got any other flotsam you could get rid of? You're just going to dump the passengers? Yeah. And so Owens, he, while she's like, I'm going to do it. And he's like, don't do it. She's like, okay. He goes and he takes like a you know piece of metal and he sticks it in between these doors. And then she's like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And then because his door doesn't close because of that piece of metal, she's unable to do it. So he very casually was like, oh, she's going to try anyway. It was sort of the... The kind of toot he had, but it's like, yeah, she's going to try and murder these people anyway. Take this seriously, Owens. But Mac, don't get too attached to Owens. Spaceship lands and the passengers are awake now. Johns goes in search of his prisoner, Riddick. And oh, does he find him. Riddick drops on Johns from above and begins to choke Johns with some sort of space cable. This strategy works for a bit, but then the ship collapses under Riddick's weight and Riddick falls to the ground, for which Johns seems to take some pride as though he had a goddamn thing to do with it. This is where we really first get our sense of Johns. We first get our sense of Cole Hauser in this movie. And Johns, this this moment, and then throughout the movie, he has a face that just reminds you of other punchable faces, where it's like you'll catch a bit of him, and it's like, oh, hey, it's Josh Lucas. And you catch a little bit, and it's like, oh, it's uh, Seth Meyers' brother. And you catch a little bit, and it's like, you're just down the list of like, not him specifically, but I do want to punch a face like yours. Look, I've not seen the show Yellowstone Maybe Kohlhauser is a goddamn beast on that show. But from what I've seen Kohlhauser is, I'm never excited to see Kohlhauser. And this movie does not change that. Yes, Kohlhauser has a very punchable face. That's the problem with this movie. If you want me to want to convince me that Vin Diesel's a bad guy and this guy Johns is a good guy, you cast the wrong douche. Which, again, I'm sure Kohlhauser is very nice and he does not deserve to be called a douche. Uh, so do I apologize? I don't know. Maybe. I'll say maybe I apologize. How about that? Standing firm. Yeah. <laughs> so then we're going to find First Officer Owens with a spike through his chest, but he's still not dead yet. Good thing Fry seems very cool with killing. So she orders everyone out of the ship uh, while she takes care of business. Did she actually kill him, though? I thought he died like a second later. I Well, see, that's the thing. I couldn't tell if the movie cut away to prevent us from seeing that, from seeing the brutality, or if he did die on his own. There's a lot of editing decisions throughout this movie that leave things more ambiguous than they should. Yeah, I, I could not decide whether she was like, everyone get out of here, if she was like, let him die in peace, don't stare at him, or if, or if she was indeed saying, get out of here, I got to... You know, uh, old yeller, this dude. But there is a moment, you know, so Owens is screaming in pain. He's still alive. He's seeing, he's looking at the spike. He's like, don't touch the spike, that kind of thing. And so they're scrambling to help him. And they're like, well, let's get him some morphine or, you know, the equivalent of morphine. Go reach into the first aid kit. And someone points out, they're like, oh, we're out of morphine. Someone seems to have taken it. And then they do a quick cut over to John's. I didn't know this was supposed to be a hilarious movie, but I'm getting the sense real quickly that this is supposed to be a hilarious movie. Well, we go outside and we learn that the planet they crash landed on is mostly desert and John's compass is all screwy. We catch up with the remaining passengers as they congratulate Fry on a job well done. We also learn Riddick is a recent prison escapee and we are told he is very dangerous. Yeah, Matt, congratulations to Fry. She really did save that little boy's dick as uh, Jack goes out of his way to let us know. That doesn't feel odd in retrospect, knowing what we know about the rest of the movie, but at the moment, I did not care for it. Jack is a, I guess like a teenager in this. He's one of the survivors and played by Rihanna Griffith. Interesting name, Rihanna. I believe that must be some sort of Irish boy's name. It must be because Jack, as far as we know, David, is a male presenting boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the future, there are only two genders, I guess. Funny you mentioned things that have never evolved when you're watching a movie about the future. Yeah. So there's a, a foppish dandy who was flying on this passenger flight. We'll, we'll meet him later, but he's Paris P. Ogilvy, played by Louis Fitzgerald. 
But he's looking around at the crash and he's like, well, that'll teach me for flying coach. And that bummed me out. Cause like, really, we still have coach in first class. We still have like the class system in passenger flights. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, he is like an antiquities dealer. Uh, one of the other passengers should have been like, what's coach? You old fuck or something like that. <laughs> so John's is like, all right, everyone, you need to stay clear of Riddick. Because if he so much as looks at you, he'll skull fuck you or whatever. And I'm like, there's a kid here, Johns. Jesus Christ, we're real loose with the skull fuck. Also, who are you impressing by swearing like that? Get out of here. Well, he's trying to press that kid. I guess so. But you know what? Let's go on a scouting mission. How about that? So the gang is going to go sift through the downed cargo. They first come upon the stash of Paris P. Ogilvy, who has a sarcophagus full of alcohol. Why not? No thanks, says Imam, played by... Nope's Keith David. National treasure, Keith David. <laughs> uh, he's Muslim in this movie. He's mid-pilgrimage. Yeah, they're going to the planet of New Mecca. I don't know if you caught that, David. He's got three young pilgrims with him that you should not get to attach to, audience. Meanwhile, Mac, Riddick senses there is an opportunity to escape via a gap in the post he's tied to and multiple dislocations of his shoulders. Johns finds Riddick's discarded shackles, so surely he's miles away from this movie by now. But the gang pulls together their weapons anyway in anticipation of Riddick's possible return. So some of the weapons they pulled together are Ogil P. Ogilvy. What is that his name? Paris P. Ogilvy. <laughs> he's an antiquities dealer, right? And so he's got a bunch of like old-timey the kind of weapons you'd see in a, in a museum, right? You're like, oh, well, these will come into play later. They never fucking do. Something else that bothered me about this movie is the sound design. Like, they pick really weird times to go, like, all in. Like, for example, when they find the discarded shackles and they pick them up, Imagine like a set of keys that you just jingle in front of a microphone for 30 seconds. It's like, I feel like I heard every chain link jingle. It's just, oh. Mm -hmm. And then when they're in the spaceship, like running around in the beginning, I got to hear every fucking, you know, shoe fall or whatever. It's almost like ASMR fully work at times. It bothers me. Also, David, the scene where Riddick kind of looks up and he sees there's a hole in the post. I'm going to be able to get my arms through this, but I got to dislocate them. What'd you think about that scene? I didn't like it. We've talked about my history of shoulder problems before. Uh, no, I, I don't want to see that. It's too real for me. Yeah, he basically rotates his arm uh, in a complete circle. The special effects, honestly, they were fine in it. I thought it was very convincing. <laughs> I mean, it, too it, convincing. It looked fake, but not fake enough. Like watch, Absolutely. watching it, I was like, Ugh. as the gang gets ready to go searching for some water, Ogilvy alerts them to something just around this corner. This planet has got three suns. One sun is so bright, it's almost like a giant blue filter over everything. Hmm. The gang breaks up into search parties and eventually finds some trees. And where there are trees, there are water, David. But David, mm. those aren't trees. They're bones. That's awesome. You know, and I was talking with my, my girlfriend, The Bombshell, about this. And she was actually uh, one of the people who was very vocal about this movie she was very excited about the movie this happens to be one of her favorites i put her in the position of having to defend this movie at times and that was very unfair but you know she said like a lot of this stuff plays better as a video game or a comic book like a lot of this stuff is meant for to pop off the page and i think like when they're walking through you know the the graveyard of the animal bones like that's something that would have been awesome on a page but when you see it on the screen it just doesn't work for me yeah, it definitely could have been like a double page spread in a comic where they're looking at what are essentially like dinosaur bones or whatever. Like that's how big they are. But yeah, I, I thought that was a cool moment when you realize the the trees are bones because it's like, oh, fuck. First of all, there's there's snakes out here this big, I, I guess. But then also <laughs> they were so happy about water, but they're still fucked. 
the visuals of this movie are so abrasive because David, there are three suns. It's very bright. And so what they do is they like just completely wash out the color of this thing. It really does feel like the kind of effects you would see in a 90s music video. They're just not great. They're just not great, David. It's kind of hard to watch. There's so many 90s flourishes. Yeah, it's tough. It it feels like for such a professional production, it feels amateurish at times. And it's like, are you really using this right now? But that's, again, that's me. I think I'm being too pretentious about this. I think I'm being too cynical about this. And I'm just like, yeah, maybe I just don't like 90s action movies. Well, David, the movie is called Pitch Black, and it does improve once we get into uh, the realm of darkness. So David Ogilvy, right? He's a man of leisure, of finer things. He's got a sarcophagus full of, uh, you know, expensive booze. And so he's he's pitched a little, like, you know, sun umbrella, and he's chilling out there. He's just sipping on some liquor here. Not the smartest thing if you're in the desert, but whatever. And then popping up behind him, holding a knife to his throat, is that kid Jack, who's just kind of fucking with them. And so I wrote in my notes, what is your goddamn deal? Because what is this kid's fucking deal? This kid is a fucking asshole. When people start dying, I cannot wait. I'm hoping Jack is one of them. Already the top of my uh, to-die list here. Well, it, it becomes clearer throughout the movie that Jack is a fan of Riddick. But it's done so, and I, I don't know, I feel like I'm picking this movie apart, but it's done so clunkily in the sense that we're, we're supposed to get this, the feeling that Riddick is this kind of folk hero, mm-hmm. that he has a reputation that precedes him, that Jack knows who Riddick is and wants to be just like him, that sort of thing. But we this is the first time we get that sense that Jack even has a fascination with Riddick because he's sort of like, if I was Riddick, I'd slit your throat by now. And it's like, this is a very odd introduction to you, to your likes and dislikes. Yeah. Jack tells us that Riddick is a badass before the movie does, which is not, uh, not the preferred way to go about things. There's a ton of tell don't show in this movie and it hurts. Yeah. So now the gang is walking through that old boneyard. Fry vibes with Johns, and then she inexplicably confesses about her oopsie during the landing. You know, the whole, <laughs> I was about to jettison all the passengers to their certain doom thing. You know, that old thing. Turns out Riddick is hiding right behind Fry, well within stabbing distance. Before Fry and Johns leave, Riddick bone cuts off a lock of Fry's hair. He sniffs it and then lets it blow into the breeze. Why? I don't know. I ran to the script to see if they gave me any clues. No clues. Here's what I think, though. Mm-hmm. And again, trying to sift through this movie and make it a movie that I that works for me, uh, which is a very selfish thing to do. But it seems to me that this movie wants Riddick to be a psycho, you know, that kind of thing. It wants you to it wants you to be uneasy about Riddick. You know, mm-hmm. why why is he, you know, even though it doesn't pay off later, even though there's nothing about it, I mean, he has a sense of smell, but he doesn't do anything with the hair. But then I get to thinking. This movie's a lot like Silence of the Lambs, where Riddick is the Hannibal Lecter type, and he's not the bad guy you should be worried about. It's, you know, he's going to help you capture the actual evil in this movie. And so with that in mind, I'm clicking towards liking this movie more and meeting it in the middle and being like, okay, so Riddick is supposed to be this tool that helps instead of the thrust of the movie, which the movie wants it to be, again, because Vin Diesel. But, like, I'm trying to make this work, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I see that. Riddick is, like, a psycho, uh, like Hannibal Lecter, in that that there are rules with Hannibal Lecter. He's not just going to, go like, pull you off the street and eat your brains as long as you, like, as long as you don't fuck over Riddick or whatever, he'll leave you alone, I guess. Because Riddick is about to stab this captain because he thinks that she's working with Johns and that, uh, that Fry is coming after Riddick. 
but it's right when she's like, yeah, I almost killed those people. I think at that moment, Riddick is like, whoa, she's a killer just like me. Earlier, he was bragging about how much he could get, how much info he could get off of smelling people. I think that's why he's like, I misjudged this person. I need to re-smell her, which is great, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I completely forgot, like, and even it's the first goddamn scene in the movie. He's smelling everybody. I forgot that that's his power. But again, you know, going back to what's the payoff? Yeah, does he need to re-smell her? What the fuck is this? I did write in my notes, is Riddick a creep? I think I had that, then deleted it. I, I The thought crossed my mind as well. But credit to Graham Revel, though, in this scene. Who's that? Because... Oh, he's the guy who does the music for this. You might remember him from Hard Target. Oh. Uh, you might remember those. Because, like, there's a moment, you know, this movie, like you said, the the sound work in this movie kind of bombards you. There's, there's a very extreme quality to it at times. And as Riddick is sneaking towards Fry to possibly stab her, you get a guitar sting. And I was like, is that Graham Rebel? And sure enough, I was right. I felt really good about it. So Imam's posse from there stumbles across a toy robot and toys mean civilization. So the encouraged gang goes looking for life and comes upon a research station. While Imam and his crew find water, Fry stumbles across a mechanical model of the desert planet solar system that I learned is called an orrery. When she goes inside this deserted research station, the color goes from like super washed out to like normal color. Uh, the relief that these people must have felt upon finding water, that's what my eyes felt upon not watching this like bleached footage anymore. Like when she went inside and it was like normal rich color, I was like, oh, thank fucking God. Just like yeah. it was such a relief. I don't think that was on purpose. Uh, like that sort of dual or, you know, whatever. Not juxtaposition, but that kind of uh, reinforcement of like, oh, they're happy and you are well, <laughs> you are as well happy audience. You are as well happy audience. Nope, no notes. I said that perfectly. No notes. I like to think, you know, again, trying to meet this movie more than halfway, I like to think it was a conscious decision. Like the, um, oh, what the hell was the Ang Lee movie? The Billy Flynn's Long Halftime Walk or whatever. Oh, also starring Mr. Vin Diesel. Is that right? Oh, shit. Well, like, so Ang Lee did the the battle scenes in a different FPS so that when you watched it in the theater, it like messed with your, you know, it's the same frame rate they did for The Hobbit or whatever, mm -hmm. where people were like, this is too real. So he was doing that in that movie so that people felt a hyper-real quality to the battle scene. So I like to think that Pitch Black wanted you to feel relief when you got it, got inside. Angley is a fucking weirdo, man. <laughs> I love him. Oh, my God. I know. His choices of what movies to make, he is interesting. So Fry starts, like, turning this little orrery, I guess, the mechanical model of the desert. And then you see, like, the, because, you know, or not the desert, the desert planet, solar system. And it's got three suns, right? But then she started spinning it. And the next thing you know, these planets like all line up as in you, uh, like a solar eclipse, right? And then they just spin in perfect synchronization for a while, which was kind of odd. And there was like little like clicks at the bottom, which I did not pick up on. But apparently it meant that this solar eclipse happens every 22 years or whatever a year is on this planet, cycles or whatever. Oh, also real quick before we leave this scene. Yes. Fry does give a nice, important piece of information, or at least for me. You know, because this research facility has no lights, like it has nothing set up. There's nothing, there's no power to turn on that kind of thing. And so she's walking around and she sees the orrery and sees, you know, it's a model of the alien planet in relation to the suns. And she mutters to herself, which I did not pick up until I was watching with captions on the second time. She says, no lights because no darkness. And I really would have appreciated hearing that or having that communicated better to me the first time around. 
Yeah, so it seems like the previous residents of that station, the research station, did not turn on lights. I wonder if that bit them in the ass at all. Hey, David, speaking of stumbling across things, Fry finds a drop ship, which I guess is a smaller spaceship. So small you could just drop it. Oh, they also find a solar-powered truck? What fortune! Meanwhile, back at the original crash site, Ogilvy hears some clattering and gets scared. But then tough-talking survivor Shazza, played by Claudia Black, thinks it's Riddick trying to get in. Uh, she's about to blast the intruder in the face, but it turns out to be another survivor from the crash. Oh, Huzzah! Okay, okay. What fortune! Oh, wait. Actually, Zeke, played by John Moore, shoots him dead, thinking Riddick is a heavyset white guy with a limp. Turns out Riddick is actually enjoying all of this from afar. Mac, that's going to be my first mark-out moment. Oh. <laughs> not, a- not any action. Not anything thrilling in this movie so far. It is... Riddick sitting a few feet away, taking over Ogilvy's spot underneath the umbrella, just chilling, enjoying a drink, and I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. It caught me off guard, so I, I marked out. Yeah, it was very like a Bugs Bunny feel to it. <laughs> like, where is this waskily wabbit? And then you look over and Riddick is like just sipping on a drink. He's like, I don't know. I don't know where I am. Also, I just want to point out, uh, so Zeke is this dude. We've seen him a bunch in the movie, this, but this is the first time he's murdered somebody. Zeke volunteered to go bury these people. Like, cause I think there was like 40 passengers on the ship and only 11 ish survived. Uh, 11 ish is one less now cause his dude died, but he's like, I'll start burying people, man. If I'm on a desert planet and we don't have water yet, I'm saving my strength. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The only way I'm burying these people or, or touching their bodies is if I can suck the moisture out of their husks. <laughs> Otherwise they can bury themselves. But anyway, Zeke after this goes back to work. Got one more body to bury. Uh, but then Zeke's going to find a hole and decides to explore it, but immediately gets ripped apart by the editing software's effects suite. Shazza gets there in time to see Riddick. Did he rip Zeke apart with his razor-sharp talons? No time to find that out, because Riddick is on the run, only to be tripped up by Johns. And now Riddick is captured again. So this is a little confusing, because I thought Riddick was supposed to be this, like, super warrior, right? Like a total badass. And he kind of easily gets taken down by Johns. So easily. Yeah. And part of it, though, was they rip off his goggles because Riddick is wearing these like steampunk goggles this whole time. And so once they rip him off, you get a little bit of POV Riddick vision here and he can like barely see. And we learn later, of course, that his eyes are accustomed to the darkness. And so without his goggles, he's like essentially blind in daylight. Of course, does the Riddick vision effect look good? Oh, no, of course it does not. So let's talk about this scene, Mac, if you will. Because I have some issues with it. Going back to the editing problems that I talked about a few scenes back, the way this the way this sequence is cut, Zeke climbs down into a hole, gets destroyed. Shazza goes over to the hole to find out what killed him. Mm-hmm. She looks up and sort of you know a few feet away, it seems to me, or probably standing on top of the hole, is Riddick. So she puts two and two together, or we're supposed to believe that she puts two and two together and thinks, oh my god, Riddick might have done this. So it's it's a problem I have because I, as a viewer, got no sense that he had anything to do with it at all. I thought it was very clear that he was outside of the hole and that sort of thing. Yeah. But I think the movie wants to hedge its bets a little bit because there's even a line in the script. Again, we're going back to the script, but it's actually a fucking awesome line where they capture Riddick and they're like, oh, he killed Zeke. You know, slit him, you know, a million times. And like, but his little shiv, it doesn't have any blood on it. And Johns is like, I bet that sick bastard licked it clean. (laughs) So like, you can tell the movie wants us to think that Riddick is this evil guy who would lick a knife clean. 
but it, it nerfs him a little bit and, and makes him a little softer. So we're not quite believing that he could be capable of that, but the movie really wants us to believe that. Oh, I'm saying too much. I feel like, no, but yeah, I, I get what you mean because, um, it's a speaking of the words you made up clunkily. Uh, these <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. It's our first fu moment. Our first. Our first fum. Um, the uh, it, it is a clunky way that Zeke dies, and so I, it does feel like oh hey uh, you know how we make it seem like uh, Riddick killed Zeke. Yeah, can we edit in something together that makes it seem like uh, Zeke definitely dies by a monster? And they're like, well, let's see what we can do with the fucking footage we got. Uh, that actually explains that. So uh, there you go. Okay. That's all I want is validation with some of this. Okay, good. Sure. But it was interesting too seeing Vin Diesel go down so easily because I feel like the way that Vin Diesel is portrayed in movies now, movies that he's definitely an executive producer on, I don't think he would let his character get taken down so easily. You know what I mean? I mean, it's straight up in his contracts, right? Like he cannot lose fights or at least in the fast series. Um, yeah. Right? I, I think, it, I mean, I know that the fast series was, did he do that versus the rock that like they had to get the same amount of punches in or was that only Hobbs yep. and Shaw? Yeah, no, it was. Oh, there you go. That's, that's really stupid. Speaking of the rock versus Vin Diesel, where do you fall on that? You got to pick a side, David. Shit. Do there's I? There's only one thing. There's nothing in the middle of the road except dead armadillos, my man. Am I, am I making a movie or am I throwing a charity event? You're, you're, this is the great stand war, David. You have to pick who to stand, uh, Vin Diesel or The Rock. I got to go The Rock. Uh, I got to go Vin. Because I feel like The Rock, he's so like, I mean, he's great. But at the same time, mm-hmm. he's so like a salesman. You know what I mean? Oh, there's real student government energy with The Rock. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Like he's bragging about like, you know, actually, if you look at the numbers, Black Adam was a hit or something. <laughs> why, why do you care? You know what I mean, man? Um, mm. I, I mean, I get why he cares, but why do you think we care? Well, it, it, that's why I asked the question the way I did, because like if I'm making a movie, I like The Rock's movies better. But it feels like Vin Diesel's a fucking decent human being. Like I would I, I want to stand him, but I have no body of work to point to. The thing with The Rock, I mean, like he was bragging about like. When I promo movies, like do interviews and stuff, I give it my all or whatever. It's like, wow, geez, thanks, man. Cool. Yeah. Also, I think Vin Diesel likes, uh, did he release a song? He's a singer. Yeah. He's got songs, plural, I yeah, think. Although, you know, The Rock did sing in Moana, which uh, I do. I've seen the movie quite a lot because my three-year-old likes it. Anyway. So, David, there you go. There's something. Uh, there's uh, we need to buy one of those house divided flags. Whereas instead of, I guess. <laughs> instead of it saying Yan- Yan- <laughs> The Rock and Vin Diesel. <laughs> yeah, instead of like Yankees and Red Sox. There's one in my neighborhood right now, David, and it says House Divided, and it's just two different pictures of Hawkeye. What people just like their different costumes. It's the weirdest thing. Oh, okay. I could see that. Sure. I'm talking about the Marvel character, not um from MASH. Not from MASH or from uh the uh, I'm more of a Donald Sutherland. James Finnemore Cooper books or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Who who's Donald Sutherland and Alan Alda? That would be a great house divided flag. If that and uh was a brochalice.com, if someone makes that I'll throttle you. Fry visits Riddick to interrogate him, but Riddick coolly explains that he's not the murderous creature everyone should be worried about. Fry asks to see Riddick's eyes, and Riddick shows her for the price of a jump scare. He then explains the origin of his eyes, that they were surgically altered so he could see in the dark. Not in a prison, David, but in a slam. Because he's cool, and that's what cool kids call prisons. That is a cool thing to call. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about this scene, except that Jack is overhearing. Because, you know, again, we're trying slowly to establish that Jack is a fan of Riddick. He can't get enough of him, that sort of thing. And so Jack interjects and he's like, where the hell do I get eyes like that? And basically Riddick says, you got to become a cold-blooded killer. You got to kill a bunch of people first or whatever. And Jack's like, all right. Jack's like, done. And it's like, you're way too eager to become a killer just for some cheap surgery. Speaking of cheap surgery and also speaking of things that still exist in the future, 
Riddick says he trades like 20 menthol cools. It's good to see that the cool cigarettes made by the Imperial Tobacco Company are still being made centuries into the future. That's exciting that cool cigarettes are still around. You know what I mean? Don't forget, after the movie, go to get yourself a pack of cool cigarettes. It's such a weird... Like, did Cool Cigarettes sponsor this movie? Why didn't he just say, like, smokes or something like that? Why did he have to be, like, was that so people in the audience were like, oh, hell yeah, he smokes menthols. I love this dude. It's, you know what? I was actually, I was thinking about this before before the show. I was trying to f- search this movie for any sort of product placement. Because, mm-hmm. again, you know, going back to me at the time in, in 2000, you know, the 90s was such a, we're going to squeeze every dollar we can out of every movie, whether it be reconfigure it to make this guy a star or product placement or promotional tie-ins, that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, of course, like not, I'm, I'm sure cools didn't pony up the money for this, but like, it does not surprise me to see that casually slipped in there. Yeah. Cause the movie, I robot, which I just checked came out in 2004. He like wears some Reebok shoes and they make like, Oh, you sure do like those old shoes. It was like, yeah, it's almost like they, they came out the fall of 2004 or whatever. Available at uh, this old store called Foot Locker. God help me. I never thought I'd say this, but that's one of the reasons why I like Demolition Man, because Demolition Man imagines these things are added and subtracted from a future society. Like, I mean, I'd like to think there's a world where cigarettes don't exist at all, but here we are. Yeah. I mean, the fact that uh, in Demolition Man, which we should definitely do, Mm -hmm. they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. Taco Bell won the uh, fast food wars or whatever. (laughs) Which was like, yeah, okay, you want us to sponsor you, uh, Taco Bell? Great. We're first going to do like, it just felt like they were fucking with them or something at that point. Yeah. Anyway, Jack sucks, I think is the point of this scene. So after Riddick implores Fry to dig deeper, because he's like, I'm not the one you should be scared of. So she goes to find the ones she's supposed to be scared of. Fry goes into the hole where Zeke was killed and ends up exploring a cave system where, what was that? There's a salamander thing on the walls. Maybe a few. Mac, we got ourselves some creatures. Yeah. So the this cave, there's kind of like these giant protrusions, like tubes. It's kind of like, I'd say Ant Mound-esque. Kind of like when you see those, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, you know, giant Australian, like, ant mounds or termite mounds. It's just like these little, like, funnels coming out of the ground, almost as if something's going to shoot out of them later. Also, she does find Zeke, but it's like what's left of him, if, if I remember correctly, it's just like a shoe with some bones sticking out of it. So Zeke definitely got chopped. So Fry tries escaping through another passage, but she's tethered to her original path. This was sort of confusing to me at first, but I got it the second time. Jack hears Fry's cries for help, and the gang scrambles to rescue Fry, who almost gets pulled back in. Yeah, so she's like, oh, there's something underground we need to be worried about, and nobody's worried about it. But that is okay. Yet another thing this movie does not nail is just the costuming in this thing. Carolyn Fry is dressed like a 90s R&B singer. Like she's wearing that <laughs> vest shirt and like tight leather pants. Like I think she wants it that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's like if, if if these same clothes were white, I would expect her to see her right there with boys to men singing about how she's going to make love to me. Yeah, I, I didn't think I'd have a problem with this outfit. But then as she's crawling into the hole, you kind of get that lower back real estate, you know, that you only see with like half shirts and low rise jeans. And I was like, oh, we could have put her in something a little more dignified than that. All right. Um, I'm going to uh, go ahead and uh, instead of saving this for punch ups, she should have had a lower back tattoo. Yeah. And that would have been a great product placement. It could have said Pepsi, RC Cola, whatever you want. Cools. Yeah. Cool cigarettes. There you go. Maybe he goes, trade 20 cool cigarettes to get eyes like this. And, and Carolyn Fry goes, whoa, that's a lot of quality smokes. That's a deal at twice the price. Okay. So while this is going on, while Carolyn is stuck in this hole, She's being pursued by the creatures. We're doing a cross cut to Riddick. He's still chained. He's still chained and bound. And he's banging away. Like, chung, 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 chung. 
Mac, this confused the fuck out of me. Because I'm sitting there wondering, is he trying to break out? Is he trying to communicate with the creatures? Is he trying to distract the creatures? Or, as my hypothesis is running through this movie, where the producer's just trying to find more opportunities to insert shots of Vin Diesel. You know, that's interesting. I forgot all about that. He did do that, and I do not know why. But this crew is going to need some help if they're going to get out of here, David, because uh, they got to move a lot of stuff, and this stuff is heavy, right? So Johns, he makes Riddick a deal. If Riddick helps him find and defeat whatever is out there, Johns will let Riddick go free. Riddick agrees, but not before letting Johns know who's really the psycho around here. Johns is like, look, I'm sick of chasing you around, man. You got to work with me here. And Riddick is like, you should smoke me, cop, or whatever. Uh, he's not a cop. Well, he sort of is. Bounty hunter. Oh, man. Yeah. That reveal. Okay. <laughs> and so John's like, you know, like shoots around, I guess, right next to Riddick's head. And he's just like, remember this moment right here. I could have shot you. And so he undoes, or maybe he shot through Riddick's uh, chains or whatever. I assume so, yeah. And so Riddick is free, and he instantly grabs the gun out of John's. And he's like, fuck you, man. And almost like he's going to cry. And I was like, ooh, Riddick is not comfortable with people being nice. Well, nice-ish. You know what I mean? He's like, someone's trusting me? I don't care for this. But then he's like, well, of course, this dialogue is going to get flipped back. And he does. He's like, you remember this moment, Johns, when I could have killed you. Anyway, Riddick is now part of the gang. That's exciting, right? Yay! Yeah, sure. Add him to the team. Meanwhile, Fry's trying to get the dropship running, but they're going to need more juice to launch. Uh, she gets a charge for the ops check. You know, they, everything's working, but they just need to take off. Meanwhile, Detective Riddick is on the case of the creatures with newly shorn cub reporter Jack not too far behind. Yeah, so Jack has now shaved his head to look, and he's wearing goggles to look just like Riddick. It's uh, pretty eye-rollingly lame. But I think even one of the characters calls it out, like Ogilvy looks and he goes, hey, it looks like somebody won the lookalike contest. Again, <laughs> a very outdated phrase. There are no more lookalike contests. You know what I mean? So Ogilvy like, drops some of his like uh, ancient Shiraz, right? And then Riddick picks up the bottle and chugs it. And Ogilvy's like, oh, my name is Paris Ogilvy, antiquities dealer. And then Riddick says, nice to meet you. I'm Richard B. Riddick. Like psycho killer, kush or whatever. But like, Richard B. Riddick. I ran the gambit on this. When he first said it, I was like, you get the fuck out of here with that name. That's uh-huh. so hilarious. But then now at the end of the movie, now sitting here, I love it. To give <laughs> like a... Tough space character, the dumbest name. Honestly, his name should have just been Riddick, right? Well, you know, it's in the grand tradition of those great screen horror guys like Rodney Leatherface. You know, I just, (laughs) the goosebumps I get on my arm when I think of Rodney Leatherface. You know, I read in Star Wars, his name was not Han Solo at first. It was uh, Edgar P. Solo. So there you go. (laughs) Obviously, there's a rich tradition of nerd names. No offense to all my Richard B's out there. But also, if his name is Richard B. Riddick, it does make his name Dick Riddick, which I do not... Know how I feel about that. No, I, I I can tell you how I feel about that. No good. But so the survivors, right? I mean, this ship is going to work. They're going to grab some fuel cells from their crashed airplane. They only need five. They're heavy, but things are going to work out, right? Yeah, we've got this all wrapped up with plenty of movie left to go. So while the survivors celebrate their escape plan, Fry finally asks, hey, why is there so much stuff left behind on this planet? Meanwhile, one of Imam's, hopefully students, I don't know the relationship there, uh, opens up the coring room and shines sunlight on a whole bunch of cricket creatures. So the gang goes to rescue Ali, the the student's name, uh, but they're too late. He is picked clean like a turkey leg. See, I think these cricket creatures, I think those are the baby creatures. Do you think they're separate from the main creatures of this movie? No, I think they're the same. Okay. 
so this guy dies, right? And no one gives a shit. Like, no one seems to care. Kind of like with Zeke. When Zeke died, people were like, ah, oh, it sucks that Zeke died. Oh, well. Like, they, they just, they're very, like, there's not a lot of, like, no one's freaked out. They're just like, we got to keep moving. The imam doesn't seem too, like, bent out of shape But the fact that one of his students or whatever dies or one of the pilgrims in his care. It's interesting. So they're talking about the previous residents of the research center. And he's like, oh, I guess these people left. Riddick goes, these people didn't leave. Come on. And I, he just says it so casually. I think it's an awesome line read. I really loved it. Because it, it, it gives you a sense like Riddick is miles ahead of these people. And he's just like, he's already come to grip. He's like, you know, like they didn't leave, you know, their food in the table or their, their jackets hanging on the hooks or their family portraits. It's like these people were killed by these creatures. And so they're having an argument here about what to do. And at some point, Jack goes, because Jack is, of course, is a Riddick stand at this point. He's like, Riddick's right. He's fucking right. And then Johns goes, watch your mouth. Oh, you watch your mouth. Now we're concerned about language. You were talking about skull fucking right in front of this kid earlier. Now the kid, it's because Johns uh, hates Riddick. That's the other thing, too. If you want Riddick to be the bad guy, Johns has to be a good guy until he's not, right? Right. Only later on you reveal the, like, oh, the cracks in, in John's armor and Johns' armor. But at this point, like, John's is, is shady from the get-go. And so this whole, like, bad guy, good guy dynamic, it didn't, I don't feel like it ever really worked. It's just sort of like badass and lesser badass is kind of the version I get. But yeah, so now they're in this room. They find the body of Ali, and he's, there's like a hole in the ground, right? That's right. So let's explore that hole, eh? Uh, turns out it was a cellar where everyone went to hide from the cricket, or everyone being the, uh, the people who lived there before. They went to hide from the crickets, and they ended up being killed as well. Fry also puts the orrery to use. And discovers that an eclipse came 22 years ago. Oh, okay. That's that's when we figured that out. Sorry. Might, might be, might be. Around the same time that everyone at the station was killed and another eclipse is coming, I, I believe, tonight, maybe. Oh, my goodness. Fry's going to go get some more power cells to power up the dropship because they're getting the heck out of there. Johns is real pissy about Riddick and reveals to Fry that Riddick is also a pilot. And he devises a plan to screw Riddick out of getting off this planet. So, yeah, more like you don't know what this dude's capable of. Which, again, it's just we're all being, it's all uh, tell not show here in terms of Riddick being a monster. Yeah, we're building him up some more. This is kind of where it starts to wear on me how perfect Riddick is because he kind of ends up being a Mary Sue. We're like, there really are no flaws or faults to anything he does in this movie. So on top of everything else, it's like, well, you can't even give him a plane because he's an accomplished pilot, too. It's like, when do we get a break from Riddick? If we are the audience rooting for Fry and supposedly rooting for Johns. But Johns sucks. That's the that's the moral of the story here. Johns is just a shitty guy, and we're supposed to be following him along in this movie. Yeah, because what Johns is advocating here, he's like, hey, maybe we shouldn't get these fuel cells so fast. And Fry's like, no, that's what we should be doing. We need these fuel cells to get off the fucking planet. And Johns is like, no, because if we get the fuel cells so fast, Riddick will he'll just get out of here because he's so bad. We just He needs to be our number one concern. He's just like so just bent out of shape about Riddick and it just is embarrassing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So after the talk between Johns and Fry, Johns walks outside and he sees Riddick shaving his head, David. Shaving his head? Okay, let's talk about this because I thought it was oil at first. It appeared to me as it was industrial grease. But what you need to know, audience, is that it is a not a head shaving liquid. So, you know, we're, we're sitting here begging for examples of how badass Riddick is in this movie, how badass he could be. And one of the first examples is he's shaving his head with grease. <laughs> yeah, like there's that uh, in the trailer for Hobbs and Shaw. You see The Rock like, oh, he's so badass. He doesn't have time to make coffee. 
he just scoops up Folger's crystals and eats them in his mouth, which is, you know, just dry, which is disgusting. But Riddick is so badass, I'll shave my head with fucking grease and or oil. You know what I mean? Which is just like, gross. You're, how, aren't, isn't that going to clog your skin or something? It's just ugh, disgusting. Also, just let it grow, man. Who you tr- you got a job interview later today? What's going on? Oh, okay. I think this is actually the director's cut, David, as you see a full shot of him just shaving, uh, doing a little manscaping down there as well with the with the oil as well. Oh. For fans of that, pick up the director's cut. Riddick corners Fry in the dropship and intimates that he's on to Johns' plan and also reveals that Johns is no cop. He's only some piece of shit bounty hunter. Oh, and also Johns is a morphine addict. Bye. <laughs> so yeah, so Riddick spends some time with Fry. He like spills the beans about John's backstory, that sort of thing. So there are points in this movie leading up to this part where the first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, John's is kind of a piece of shit cop or whatever. But then to find out he's a bounty hunter who's just wearing a fake badge to trick people, fucking hilarious to me. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, and Riddick keeps being like, you're shaky, Johns. You're looking real shaky. You're always shaking. And I was like, okay, what is that? It's scary on this planet. I guess I was supposed to think that he was uh, jonesing for his next fix, which I did not see because I did not give a shit about Johns' character. But Mac, this is the second time I watched this. I had what I'm going to call an enjoyment revelation because, you know, obviously I'm having my issues with this movie. I'm struggling with it so far. And... I can't quite put my finger on it after the first viewing. And I'm talking with my girlfriend, the bombshell, and because like I said, you know, she loves this movie. And I'm like, well, what am I missing? You know, what are, what are you seeing that I'm not? And she's like, well, I was 10 when I saw it for the first time. And like, as someone who grew up loving video games, I liked this movie because it fit like a video game. And that clicked for me. That clicked a lot of things into place for me in a couple of ways. One, the structure of the movie feels a lot better when I consider it that way. When you consider a modern narrative video game is going to be cutscene, mission, cutscene, mission, you know, where it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. we're going to have some dialogue here, some character development, and then we're going to go find supplies. And then we'll have some more talk here. And then we're going to go repair the ship. So seeing it that way and seeing the movie, you know, thinking of the movie in those terms, the movie works a lot better for me in that way, instead of expecting a traditional movie story arc, which, which there still is, but which brings me to my next point. So I'm watching this movie the second time. I know this is already happening. Mm-hmm. Riddick comes on to chew more scenery. And I'm like, Riddick, go away. You're the fucking B-plot. But then I realized, well, maybe he's not the B-plot. You know, all this time I'm thinking, or I'm expecting as the viewer, the A-plot is we need to get off this planet because there's cricket creatures here. The B-plot is this psycho killer's, you know, we need to be mindful of him too. If he's the A-plot, or if it's like a co-A-plot, that sort of thing, I have, I have trouble with it from a movie perspective. But if you think of it from a video game perspective where you're looking at it more like the collective, especially with like an RPG or a JRPG, where you have, okay, I'm the soldier, I'm the cleric, I'm the, you know, that kind of, everybody has their own defined roles. Like Imam is the holy man, that sort of thing. We see in the third act, you know, he provides, uh, you know, a prayer for Riddick. Mm -hmm. So this is the moment where I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm spending too much time as an audience member worrying about A plot, B plot. You know, what's the star? What's the focus here? When I should really just enjoy the collective making it through. I, I'm just so happy that I that I found a way to to enjoy this movie. I mean, that tracks. That's a lot of work. I know, I know. Especially, you know, like, uh, it's like, oh, it's kind of video game rules. I don't, I mean, like, that makes sense for someone to enjoy it. I don't think that was David Tui's, uh intention. I'd be real surprised. Also, A Prayer for Riddick would have made it a pretty good sequel uh, title. Thank you for letting me go on that walk, oh, by the way. Of course. I appreciate it. Yeah. So let's go see Johns do some of that morphine, man. 
Fry catches him shooting up into his eye duct. No, thank you. And scolds him for hogging all that morphine for himself instead of using it on the long dead Owens. Fry is done with these jokers. That's her last straw. Yeah, but the eclipse is approaching, right? Time to make it back to their down ship in order to grab the power cells and take them to the drop ship. But not fast enough, gang. Oh no, because the eclipse arrives, covering the planet in darkness. And here come the creatures for a short action set piece I'm going to call Run for Your Space Lives. The gang runs for their space lives at the urging of Ogilvy, who is wandering off for reasons as suspicious as they are unresolved. Shazza tries to make a run for it, and she like pauses for a minute, and then she's like, I think the coast is clear, but it is certainly is not, and the creatures rip her to shreds. They rip her to shreds like it is a Mortal Kombat fatality. This is going to be my second mark out moment. Oh, yeah. It's definitely an intense scene because the aliens like chomp or tear or whatever her in half. And then they fly away carrying her upper body while she's still screaming. It is definitely intense. <laughs> and again, I've been watching this movie thinking that it's kind of nerfing itself, thinking it's kind of pulling back on some of the more brutal stuff in order to make it more palatable to audiences. So when I see this, I fucking marked out, my friend. Yeah, so the original shot of the creatures emerging, and they are shooting out of those funnels that we explored earlier in the movie. It was a pretty cool shot because at some point somebody goes like, how many do you think there are? And then we cut and we see that there are so many. There are all of the minis. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like there's an infinite amount of these things shooting out of there. And it was a really cool shot. And of course, uh, where it goes, beautiful, because he's a psycho. Killer, recognized killer, right? Sees beauty in the grossest things like tool t-shirts and stuff. Yeah, he loves it. But then after Shaza gets ripped to shreds and carried away, Riddick pops off those steampunk goggles and using his Riddick vision, he looks over at the mounds, but how do the mounds come adult creatures, right? So those little ones that uh, carried away Shaza, those were just the kids. Here come the the big parent monsters, right? And, and Riddick is like, oh, we're super fucked now. The Riddick vision, am I happy with the effect? No. But so if the smaller aliens popping out of their alien tubes was supposed to be scary, seeing the giant adult version of the aliens popping out is even scarier. And so by kind of masking it, in Riddick vision, we don't actually get a full clean look at the threat yet. And so classic movie monster stuff, hiding the threat as long as possible makes the threat seem scarier. So Riddick vision, you win this round. So then from there, the gang holes up and navigates their way through the wreckage, I guess. Let's say the wreckage. Uh, while they're being pursued by the creatures outside, turns out there's also one inside. So this is going to be a short little action sequence we call Fight for Your Space Lives. Riddick and one of the boys must remain perfectly still, but the boy does not. That boy has gone pretty quickly. So this is going to be, I like this, again, you know, going back to what I was talking about where the CGI is buried under very dark circumstances or very light circumstances. I thought this was probably the best use of the darkness in relation to the effects in the movie. You know, you see a lot of close-ups of the hands, a lot of close-ups of the features, but you don't really get a sense like you just said. I liked it. Yeah, it was effective, especially, you know, you have these like nighttime monsters coming out of the darkness. It works. Speaking of these nighttime monsters, I was like, David, these things definitely have names, Right. If we found out in the Prey episode that the Predators have some weird name, I was like, these these things must be called something. I looked up and they're called, I mean, I don't know if it's just what the uh, production crew called them or the you know creature designer, Bioraptors. Bioraptors. Yeah. Okay. Which is, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to keep calling them nighttime creatures because I mean, Bioraptors, we get it. You know, when we do get a full look at them, they're freaky looking, right? They got their heads look like giant anchors when the boy is standing still and the alien is trying to, or not the alien, the nighttime creature is trying to find it. These like tongues come out of the 
creature's limbs or this is weird. I mean, bioraptors for a reason, because they kind of look like birds, right? They look like pterodactyls because they have wings, a tail, and some limbs that are kind of like feet or claws. And then their heads are, yeah, like giant anchors with some super sharp, kind of almost cheesy sharp teeth. Mm-hmm. But they're they're fucking freaky looking. And, uh, you know, Vin Diesel here, Rick is like, don't move, Hassan. And then Hassan does run, and he runs straight into another uh, night. I keep wanting to call him Bioraptor. Now, fuck, it worked. <laughs> it's pretty good. You know, it's, it's the best name we've come up with. Shit. All right, my, fine. You win movie, Bioraptors. So he runs right into a Bioraptor who, like, instantly halves Hassan. Just with, like, the smallest gesture, Hassan is now two Hassans. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, again, though, does anyone give a shit that Hassan is dead? No, they don't. So the rest of the gang, you know, they're hearing this attack and they start like shooting or whatever in that direction. And and they even have a light on the end of the gun. And uh, Riddick, you know, runs square into like into the, the beam of the, the, the light. Yeah. And, you know, of course, he's sensitive to light. So when the lights get shown on him in this scene, he decides to go. Yeah. <laughs> and I laughed out loud because, you know, it was the one moment of vulnerability in this Hundred percent, all the way through this movie. Tough exterior, macho, cool as a cucumber. But at this one moment, yeah, I was great. Yeah, he's got pretty easy kryptonite. Uh, maybe they <laughs> fixed that in Chronicles of Riddick. I don't remember if he's like, oh, my eyes got fixed. I traded some Paul Malls or something for it. But then Johns shoots and kills one of the Bioraptors. The gang studies its dying carcass and learns that light hurts these creatures. So the gang pulls their light resources for a run back to the skiff. Yes, that's right, a run. Because they have a little solar-powered vehicle, but it's solar-powered. They can't use it. Fry can't lead them through the darkness, but Riddick can. Fry comes up with this plan, and Johns is not on board, right? And he's like, this, I don't want to, this is a plan of suicide. If you just shut your mouth for a second, I'll come up with a better one. At some point, he goes, we need to think about everybody, especially the kid. Which, I mean, at first I was like, whoa, okay. You could not give two shits when these Islamic pilgrims died. But now a white kid might die, and now you're like all concerned about it. But I was like, wait, hold on. He doesn't give a shit about this kid either. He's just like stalling because he's terrified of this plan. I picked up the same vibe you did, and I wish I had picked up the letter. Yeah, exactly. Like, this guy is a weasel. This guy is, yeah, he sucks. Uh, So, of course, he would use this kid as an excuse to buy time. Yeah, because he like, he doesn't want any plan that puts Riddick into a leadership position. And so he's like, hey, we can't do this plan. Think about this kid. Also, let's go around the room right now. I think we're all tired. Let's have a good share set. He's just, he's just completely stalling with this kid thing. But still, the fact that I mean, no one gives a shit about any dead person until a white guy might die, it's uh, not, not great. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, though, it's John's fault, not the movie's fault. John's further cementing that he is a piece of shit. Well, slow down. <laughs> but then there's a, there's a part here, and if Mac, if you could help me yeah. uh, real quick, it's going to be a little call and response. Sure. It, it might be one of the greatest burns I've ever heard in the history of my 43 years on this planet. So Fry is going to challenge Johns because Johns is too, you know, it's too chicken to want to do this. Sure. So Fry says, uh, hey, Johns, how much do you weigh? What the fuck does that have to do with anything? How much do you weigh, Johns? Oh, fine. About 79 kilos. All right. I'm looking at 79 kilos of gutless white meat. Ooh, you like, son of, ooh. <laughs> like, for him to refuse to answer it, but then begrudgingly answer it and her to still use it, that, that might be my favorite part in the movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. But they decide to go ahead and make that run. And we have another action set piece here, Midnight Run. 
The gang heads out in the darkness to deliver the power cells where they needs to be to escape, right? Riddick instructs everyone to check their cuts because the creatures sense blood. Good to know, everyone, right, Jack? Jack? Uh, we, the audience, don't know why that Riddick is so concerned with this, but we find out later. The gang wraps themselves in glowing cables and heads out into the darkness of the murder desert. Very quickly, Jack gets attacked after veering outside of the light halo. Ogilvy freaks out and ruins it for everybody. Ogilvy breaks the machine powering the glow ropes and out go the lights. The creatures make quick work of Ogilvy and a way more awesome death than he deserved. I like this glow stick sequence, Mac. This is very awesome. This is one of the more memorable sequences in the movie. I do not like Ogilvy. What the fuck was his problem? Why did he run away? We've talked about this, David. There's always the one person who is going to uh, quickly lose their mind and ruin it for everybody. And in that movie, in this movie, David Ogilvy is that person because, yeah, he he uh, loses his cool and blows it, uh, blows it for everybody. But before this glow stick sequence, I, I just wanted to mention that because I really liked it. But before this, you know, they're kind of getting everything ready. They want to make sure the path is clear. John's asked, "How does it look? Yeah, it looks all clear." And sure enough, there's a creature that flies out. And John's goes, "Okay, how does it look now?" Riddick says. Well, it looks clear. It was a very funny moment in the movie, but I wish I had liked these people. <laughs> like, I wish, I wish I got a sense that they were enjoying themselves. It really just like you know, these people hate each other every turn. There's no, there's no mirth between these two. So it felt like a wasted moment a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of like a line that like Drax or Nebula could have nailed, or even uh, the Raccoon Rocket in Guardians of the Galaxy. But Groot, Groot himself could not nail it on this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so when Vin Diesel is telling everyone to, like, you know, wrap your cuts, he goes, these bad boys know our blood now. Oof. That's a cool line. <laughs> 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 look, I'm not immune to just a bunch of cool words put together. And also, look, I mean, I'm of the generation where you call anything a bad boy. I'm like, hell yeah. Especially if <laughs> these bad boys know our blood now. Hell yeah. So David, when, but yeah, this is a really cool sequence. Because they are wrapping themselves in these like glow cables and they're kind of just like trotting along. And there's an overhead shot and it shows that around this little like wagon train, right? The uh, nighttime creatures, the bioraptors are pretty much like in a, like a feeding frenzy circle around them as they run. And, you know, you don't fully see, you only kind of see them around the edges of the light. Anyway, that was a cool ass fucking shot. And that was my first markout moment of the movie was uh, we're seeing these uh, circling uh, nighty night monsters. All right. Mac is on the board. Cool. Yep. So Ogilvy, he freaks out. Right. And he like starts running off on his own. And of course he breaks the machine and his light turns off. So the only light he has now is like a lighter and he's got his old bottle of whiskey with him or whatever it is. Space whiskey. Yeah. And so with his dying moments, he decides I'm going to take one big swig of this whiskey. I'm going to activate the lighter and I'm going to blow this big ball of fire and he does it, and we see all of the creatures around him. Mac, that's going to be my third markout moment. Yeah, I remember this shot from the trailer. And I another markout moment for me, that shot was cool as hell. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, am I surrounded? Oh, you absolutely are. And, of course, he gets uh, super chomped, we imagine, as soon as the light goes out. But, yeah, super cool shot. Cool sequence altogether. Okay, so the, the glow stick machine is broke. Uh, the gang is going to have to resort to the remaining torches. Riddick reveals he's been leading them in circles to buy time while he devises a plan because if they go through the canyon, that would be too dangerous, especially with the young Jack bleeding her menstrual blood, Mac. Uh Uh-oh. That's right. Fry decides this is too much and wants to turn back. Johns jerks out and takes the lead through the darkness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out that's a lady, Mac. Yes, which I got to say, I was pretty pissed at this reveal because it completely ripped off uh, the gender reveal party we did. For our baby, I don't. How did you feel about this 
this like alien smell the menstrual blood thing. It felt like they they started with that twist and wrote backwards from it. It felt like they wanted to have that. And again, it, this is one of the things as a very jaded and cynical viewer of this movie. I knew from the very beginning of this movie that Jack was a lady. I did Jack not. This, this, uh, oh, is that right? Yeah. I thought this was a real annoying little dude. And when I find out that uh, Jack is played by a female presenting character, I was like, I instantly liked her better. The fact that Jack was an act mm-hmm. that she put upon, I was like, oh, okay. Because she was like, I, I feel like no one would bother me as much if I was... Uh, uh, you know, presenting as a dude instead of a lady, I instantly went from like, I hate this fucking character to be like, oh man, I get it. I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I never had that moment. So I was just kind of with Jack the whole time. But, you know, it's like you said, she makes a good point. She's like, I pretended to be Jack so I wouldn't get picked on or belittled or you guys wouldn't think less of me. And so within two sentences, John's is like, well, we got to figure something out. You got to put a cork in this kid. And I'm like, wow, way to find new innovative ways to be a fucking asshole. How I felt about this, the minstrel blood reveal, I just was like, uh, let's move on. It's just like, I, <laughs> I don't know what you think this moment is movie, but I don't think we agree on it. This is also a joking anchor man. That's right. When, when Brick was like, you know, bears can smell minstrel blood. Uh, that was a plot point in a, in a space movie. That's... That's okay. But but also in this moment, Johns decides to undercut Fry by revealing that, you know, by snitching about uh, her oopsie with the crash, you know, that she was going to jettison all of the passengers. And I put it in my notes. I was like, why, why, my dude? But I know why. Because he's a piece of shit. Like you said, you know, any opportunity that Johns has to not be a leader, he must sabotage that at every turn, even if it means undercutting Fry. So, like, this movie's doing a really good job. Uh, I wish, I wish john's was the villain the whole time because it's making him a very effective villain yeah although fry here could have easily just gone what are you talking about and no one would have believed john's yeah instead she was like how dare you or whatever anyway i think we got six left and the remaining six survivors they press on john's approaches riddick with his plan hey let's uh use a little bit of bait here we'll kill jack use her as bait for the nighttime spookies but Riddick decides Johns would make better bait and they get into a green fight. One rule, stay in the light. Oh, here we go. We got another action set piece. It's, it's Riddick versus Johns. Kind of like a lumberjack match in wrestling, David, where there's a bunch of wrestlers around the ring. The lumberjacks in this one are the nighttime monsters. So this is going to be our action sequence, Riddick versus Johns. They fight and then Riddick bleeds Johns and leaves Johns to fend for himself in the dark. And he does not. Yeah, Johns gets chomped. Winner, Riddick. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, it's a good fight. I enjoyed it. You know, for as as harsh as the blue light as the blue filter was when they were in the sun, uh, I like the green fight. I thought it was pretty fucking awesome. You say green fight because they're illuminated by green light at this point, right? Yeah, that's right. They've got their their torches burn a green light, so that's they're fighting by torchlight. And I love the line where where Riddick is like, "One rule: stay inside the light." Like we could do anything else inside this light, but we can't do that. So that's I, I like that setting of expectations. Yeah, I love a good versus in a movie. Like, you have these characters, and they're butting heads all the time. Let's fucking have them fight. You know what I mean? It's just like, you're setting this up. Let's just have a clear one-on-one brawl. Let's settle this thing. I feel like a lot of movies, like, you don't, you kind of get this in, like, a cheap way, or, like, oh, one character uh, outmaneuvers another one. But no, just put them head-to-head, see who wins. In this case, it's Riddick. 
Uh, I don't think the fight itself, like the action sequence here, wasn't necessarily like anything, you know, mind blowing. But it was a solid fight, and uh, you got to give it to Riddick. <laughs> you got to give it to Riddick. He just wanted, he just wanted it more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, this this fight certainly could have used some fight choreography, but you're not getting Vin Diesel to do fight choreography. Yeah. And by the way, no more Cole Hauser in this movie. Only could only be a good thing. That feels good. Uh, one last thing before we leave the the sequence. So there's a moment where I guess Riddick breaks his arm. I can't tell where, either at the elbow or you know somewhere. And he resets it like it's nothing, but it's well, it's not like it's nothing. He resets it like he's put like it's Roy Munson putting on his arm in Kingpin, where it's like it's just like flopping, and then he just kind of like sets mm-hmm. it back into place. I don't. There's no reason to point that out other than it was just ridiculous to me. Well, I find out I think in the later Riddick movies that he comes from a planet called like Furia or something like that. He's a Furian. Mm. Maybe Furians are like Mister Fantastic or something. Like that. Maybe like triple jointed. So maybe the fact that uh, John's like broke his arm wasn't a big deal. He's like, I'll just snap it back into place. Riddick rejoins the other four and lets them know that John's is dead. The imam, Keith David, tries to share a moment of prayer with Riddick before they make one last push to the darkness. But here come the creatures. An action set piece will call Blood Run for Your Space Lives. Yes, this is going to be where one of imam's pilgrims gets injured, but Riddick stops for no one. But then Jack gets injured and suddenly Riddick is back to being Mr. Helpful. Uh, he does a bunch of shiving and kills one of the creatures with his bare hands. So, Mac. <laughs> yes. So the pilgrim uh, gets killed, or the pilgrim gets injured. And, and they're like, help us, Riddick, help us. And Riddick is on his way out. But then he looks over and sees Jack pinned under like a, 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 you know, the, the rib cage of a skeleton. And he's being you know, attacked by a creature. That's going to be the thing that brings Riddick back. I didn't think too much of this, but putting my piece together with your piece from earlier... It doesn't sit right with me. See, this one I took it that Riddick was like, because I don't think Riddick gave a shit about this kid. But now the fact that uh, he knows this kid is a lady, I think, you know, Riddick is a uh, you know a little bit of a chauvinist here. And he's like, oh, got to look out for the ladies or whatever. I don't know. It was a weird choice that he's like so invested in this person now, which he clearly isn't later. Although there's some confusion about that. It was confusing. By the way, if I was this surviving pilgrim, I would start talking. Because right now you got to be like, man, I got zero dialogue in this movie. I'm going to get murdered. <laughs> I would, I'd suddenly, if I was this character, I'd suddenly start blurting out a backstory. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I never got to marry my wife. They're like, oh, okay, now we know something about you. That's great. Also, we call the set piece Blood Run for Your Space Lives because at some point, blue goo starts falling on them. And we look up and we see that the nighttime creatures are attacking each other. With the blue goo is their blue space blood. That's like pouring all over our survivors here. Are the aliens doing this for a reason or are they just assholes? And I think they just might be assholes. I think they just might be assholes. It it feels like there is some character development with these bioraptors that we're missing. You know, again, going back to the the video game feel of this movie, where if it's, you know, cutscene, mission, if this mission is just avoid falling creatures, it works for me. Because I don't need to know the logic of why they're fighting. It would be helpful, I suppose, but... Let's just avoid these fallen creatures. And of course, Riddick, because he's a badass, he's got to take down one of these bad boys, uh, which now no, they're blood. Uh, but he's got to take one of these bad boys down with just his little shiv weapons. That was the best fighting Vin Diesel did in this movie. It was some pretty good shiv foo and some pretty good practical effects on this one, too, with the creature. So, Mac, the gang is not going to be able to make it to the ship, but Riddick can. So the gang, the being Jack and Mom and Fry, they hide in a cave where they find some glow slugs, which is very helpful. Uh, they make a glow slug lamp by filling empty liquor bottles with these glow slugs, and it, it actually works pretty great. 
Fry makes her way to Riddick, who's getting the dropship ready to launch. Fry implores Riddick not to leave without the others, but Riddick implores Fry to leave with him. No, sir. Fry persuades Riddick to rescue Jack and Mom. Yeah, so Fry has like this little, you know, it's her moment of growth. This was, you know, her character arc was the movie starts. She lets the passengers down. She was, she was, she doesn't care. She says, I'm not going to die for them. And so her arc is she has now learned how to die for people and she will not be persuaded by Riddick to take off without the rest of the gang. She's going to stand her ground. This could have been a good moment if we had developed Fry more. I hear you. Cause the scene for me is a little confusing and I, maybe I'm, I'm overthinking this scene as well. So Fry shows up and she's like, Riddick, you can't go. You can't go without them. And he's like, all right, but think about this for a second. What if we just fucking live right now? And she's like, I can. He's like, yeah, you can. Here, I'll make it easy for you. I'll pull you onto the ship. You're not, it's almost like, um, what is that? Uh, Mad Men, uh, that guy, uh, Draper, Don Draper. He's yeah. like, you're, you're going to be stunned at how easy it is to leave these people. <laughs> she's like, I can't leave them. Cause for, you know, by the way, Riddick leaving these people, that's not the move of a cool badass. Mm-hmm. I thought he liked that kid, but he's just like, well, they're fucking dead. But she's like, I can't leave these people. And Riddick goes, would you die for them? Yes, I would die for them. And Riddick goes, now that is interesting. And I'm doing a terrible Riddick impression. The fact that she would now die for them, the fact that her character arc is complete, Riddick is like, now I will save them. Which makes me wonder, was Riddick going to save them all along? He's just fucking with her? That's the thing. Because like this fucking part feels like an episode of Frasier. Because there's so many like misunderstandings and stuff like that. Because Fry shows up, we never once get an indication that Riddick has a thought to leave them behind. We're just going off of what the characters assume about Riddick. The beats in this movie feel off. Again, for me, you know, I think the movie thinks it's tricking us. Where it's like, aha, you think Riddick is going to take off without them. But we got a surprise for you. Never once did I think that Riddick was going to take off without them. Yeah, and at one point he's they're fighting Fry and Riddick, and Riddick has like one of his his weapon, like his knife, right to Fry's throat. And yeah, not once was I like, oh, he's actually going to stab her or whatever. You know, let me be in charge of this argument, I guess. You know, it feels off because let's assume that Fry is the main protagonist of this movie. If we're following the development of the story arc through her, I feel like that revelation comes a little bit like a a half a minute too late if that makes any sense, because she's on her knees. She's crawling up the ramp. Like Riddick is helping her. He's like, come on, you, you've clearly made this decision. You're defeated by it, but we're getting out of here. She makes it onto the ship. And then she has the revelation. I'm like, as a viewer, as a nitpicker of this movie up and down, I wish that revelation had been made when she falls on her knees before she makes it up the ramp, that sort of thing. It's hard to get a beat on this Riddick dude. You know what I mean? He's just, uh, he's a mystery uh, wrapped in enigma wearing steampunk goggles. So Riddick, I guess, agrees to go uh, help these people because we see a, a shot inside the cave and the rock is moving back and forth. An actual stone, not the actor. Jack and the imam are like, oh no, the nighttime spookies, they're, they're going to get into the cave. But the rock moves aside and it's Fry and uh, the Riddick. And Riddick is like all smiles or whatever. Anyway, so they're getting on the ship, but here come the creatures, and Riddick gets into a little step-up battle with the creature before realizing they are, in fact, clever girls. Riddick gets injured, but Fry finds him and comes to his rescue. And then there's another misdirect where we think Riddick stabs Fry, but no! A creature swoops in and kills her and takes her away, and Vin Diesel emotes his heart out. Riddick mourns quickly, and soon they're off. So earlier in the film, Riddick is looking at like the corpse of one of these, uh, the nighttime monsties. 
he looks at the right in the, the center of its head, like its anchor-like head, like a double anchor, and he's like, oh, there's a blind spot here. And so when the creature approaches him in this scene, he's like, if I just move in rhythm with this monster and I stay in its blind spot, it can't see me. And sure enough, it works. But then when a second monster comes down, Riddick is like, oh, no. I was trying to remember when exactly we see it in this movie. But the monster's POV, like the monster vision, uh, we do get it a lot in this movie. And it's kind of like, it, it's almost like sonar or something like that. They can kind of see movement and sound a little bit. Yeah, it's the Dark Knight uh, system. Yeah, but again, the Dark Knight visual effects looked okay. These look, again, terrible. But, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? It, it it tells the story, which is fine. So, you know, I mentioned Vin Diesel and Moses Little Hard Out uh, because there's a part, It's it's probably my favorite Fry part in the movie because Riddick gets injured and Fry makes the decision, I'm going to go out and save you. So she grabs Riddick and she has her kind of cool moment where she goes, I told you I'm not going to die for you, you know, because she'll die for everybody else, but I'm not, I'm not going to die for you. We're going to make through this through together. I thought that was kind of an awesome line. I thought that was kind of an awesome moment, but then she gets stabbed. Yeah. You hear this, the sound effect of a stab and she, she, her like body jerks. And at this point, the audience, and, and honestly it, it fooled me. Cause I was like, wait, what? Did uh, who stabbed who? He stabbed her. That doesn't seem right. But what what really happened though, David? Yeah, the confusion cannot be helpful. You know, having been through the movie, going, no, Riddick's not that evil. I know this. Riddick's gonna be fine. I know this. So when that happens, I'm like, okay, who did it? You know, who who else is it besides Riddick? But like, I was annoyed that the movie thought that I would think it might be Riddick for a second. I did think at this moment, like, oh, did a creature stab her? The movie takes its sweet time going to a wide shot. We stay in this, like, close-up or two-shot of them for a really long time. Or just not really long time. Just, like, you know, some extra beats there to the point where I was like, wait, what's going on? Like, creates confusion, but not, like, in terms of, oh, did the character really do it? Just more confusion of, like, wait, what is happening? Right, exactly. Like, it's, you know, again, it's going to be a little edit. It could be fixed in editing where they just, you know, shave a beat off of it or shave a frame off of it and not linger so much. To where I'm like, okay, I guess you want me to think it's real. Okay, fine. Yeah, if you want to spend an extra minute in this scene or whatever extra moment, put it in slow motion, right? Let us consider it because in real time, it's ridiculous. Slow motion is the prescription. That's absolutely right. But his response to it, you know, when she, when Fry gets taken away, he goes, not for me, not for me, because she wouldn't die for him. Mm-hmm. So he's he's sad. He's lamenting the fact that she, he, you know, she said she would not die for him and she died for him. So that's just, I just wanted to point that out that moment that like that was probably vin diesel's best acting in the movie not to be a shit about it but like i liked it so i saw this movie i've seen this movie before i did not remember that fry dies in this thing oh and so when she gets carried off into the night to be chomped by the the nighttime creatures i did not expect that and the scene of her just being carried away in the darkness to get horribly murdered oof i was like that is intense movie this is another mark guy movie for me I was like, damn, pitch black, pitch black. Like, this, uh, to not, to not expect it to do that. So, uh, yeah, woof, that was, I'm marked out. I was pleased with the movie for doing that because I didn't think that was going to happen either, but I was left a little disappointed by it. Again, you know, because the movie, in my estimation, didn't really hit Fry as hard as it could have and make her more of a protagonist as it could have. You know, I, I thought her dying could have been a really poignant moment, but it's just, oh, well, she's gone. We are staying firmly in the city limits of fake out town, David, because uh, they they get on board the spaceship, the survivors, Jack, the Imam, and Riddick. And Riddick starts firing up the uh, spaceship's engines, and then they cut out. And as they cut out, the aliens start to swarm the spaceship. And you're like, oh, no, did, 
does a spaceship not work? Are they doomed here? And he's like, we can't leave. And as the aliens swarm all over the uh, jet engines of the, or not jet engines, space engines, I don't know. Uh, Rick completes his sentence and turns out he says, we can't leave without saying a proper goodbye. And then he turns on the burners and like fries all these nighttime spookies, which I got to say, uh, stupid. <laughs> don't do that. Just get the fuck out of there. But you liked it. <laughs> I liked I thought it was awesome. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the movie's well in hand at this point, so I'm not expecting any more peril. So it's like, yeah, leave him, leave him with a signature. So they blast off into space. Jack says like, well, aren't you worried that you're a wanted criminal? And he goes, if anyone asks, and this is a paraphrase, tell them Riddick died back on that planet. Cause now me, you and Keith David, we got to set sail into an uncertain future. And I got some chronicles to go about. And then after the chronicles, I got another movie that strangely is mega profitable. So who knows what fate awaits young Richard P. Riddick? And that, David, is the end of the movie, more or less. Some of that dialogue might not have been accurate. David, how many markout moments did you have in this thing? I had a very respectable three. How about you? Me too. And they were all bunched up and they all had to do with not necessarily action, but... The spooky aliens. Now, something we've not talked about is this movie does feel like a riff on the Ridley Scott alien franchise, mm-hmm. but I will allow it because, yeah, it was, it was fun enough. I had three. Now, David, usually at this point, we must ask the question, is this someone's favorite movie? And you already said that, yes, uh, the, the bombshell. My girlfriend loves this movie. It's, it's you know, one of her favorites. She was super enthusiastic about it. Uh, her enthusiasm did not wane, uh, despite my best efforts. God bless her for watching a movie with me. Yeah, I, I think there is a younger generation that is more in tune with the way video games are paced out. And I think following that, they they like this movie a lot. You know, it really is, you know, there's some basic character development, and then there's some action stuff. There's some cool, you know, there's some cool world building. There's some cool interacting with that world. It's It's mission accomplished, I think, for a lot of people. David, if you're talking about the younger generation, you're, of course, talking about my generation. Because as, uh, as everyone knows, David, I'm a young kid. I love doing drugs and eating ass. That's uh, Those are my favorite things <laughs> to do. I'm just like you, Gen Z or whatever. I think it definitely is someone's favorite movie because there's got to be some Riddick heads out there. You know, they made three movies in an animated uh, thing for this. There's definitely people that are like into this world, right? Yeah, for sure. They just cannot wait. Like, oh, I want Chronicles 2. I want a proper follow-up. There's got to be some people who are like, I really like Riddick more than Chronicles because it goes back to the basics about what this universe is about. Like, I could just hear someone saying that. So, yeah, I think this is somebody's favorite movie for sure. All right, David, time for some punch-ups. David, we're the ultimate movie fixers. Everyone knows that. How would you fix this movie? How would you punch it up? Mac, I tease this at the beginning of the episode. This is the part of the show where the whole episode turns on its head. Mac, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Oh, I love stories. Is this one about Riddick? Is it a chronicle, David? <laughs> so I had a laundry list of things I wanted to change. You know, I tried real hard to leave Vin Diesel in, even though I have my issues with Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made my peace with it. Like, he's, it's a young, per, you know, it's an early performance. He's young. He's not sure of himself. So, you know, there, there's stuff I wanted to fix there. The script I had issues with, the 90s movie making I had issues with. But as I'm talking through it, like I spent the whole weekend thinking about this movie and that's not a boring movie, you know, like it's not a movie I could just, just, you know, discard and, and walk away from. So I'm thinking about my punch-ups until finally last night, the bombshell and, all, and I are like, do you want to just watch Riddick? Cause she's never seen Riddick. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have a feeling reading the plot synopses. Yeah. Like you said, Chronicles of Riddick is something else entirely, but Riddick feels like Desperado to El Mariachi. Like yeah. they just wanted to make the same movie again. I fucking love Riddick. Riddick is an 
awesome. Riddick rules. Oh no, we should have doubled up. I, I'm so appreciative of Pitch Black because it got me to Riddick. Riddick is everything that, that I wanted fixed with Pitch Black and then some. It's just a fucking Bugs Bunny movie. Riddick is Bugs Bunny. He's got the A plot of, I've got to take care of the, you know, I'm on, an, here we go again. I'm on another planet with, with creatures. And then I've also got to deal with two warring teams of, of mercenaries. It, the movie knows how to be ridiculous when it needs to be ridiculous. The movie knows how to be awesome and extreme when it needs to be awesome and extreme. My, all my punch-ups for Pitch Black end up being Riddick. Go see Riddick. I've seen Riddick, David. And uh, if I recall correctly, does, doesn't Riddick fuck in that movie too? Riddick fucks. Riddick That's fucks. The, there you go. Okay, he doesn't actually fuck, but there he's got a fuck energy to him. There's oh, nudity in this movie. Okay. And that's the other thing too, like, because we I had a conversation, you know, about Pitch Black where I'm like, would this movie work or would the Riddick character work better if he was charming? And, and the bombshell was like, no, I, I like that he's asexual, like when, he, or not asexual, but you know, there's no threat there. Like when he's... Really, you know, when he has his up close moments with Fry and he's being very menacing. Yeah. At the very end of the movie, uh, he says something like, oh, you're a survivor. I like that in a woman. And it, it feels really out of place. Not that Riddick is a creep, but that you gave the wrong dialogue to Riddick there. Yeah, for sure. 100%. And and seeing that through her eyes, I, I got that. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, I like that he's not sexual or charming. He's just this, you know. He's wow. just this monster. He's Hannibal Lecter. I'm a Riddick apologist, apparently, is what I am. <laughs> I'm like, after Riddick gets drunk and like uh, says something terrible, I'm on the next day being like, look, the media spun this out of control. Riddick cares. He's a family man, you know? Oh, that felt weird. But yeah, that's it. We should watch. We should do, um, we'll do maybe a speed version of Riddick or something. We'll watch it later on or something. Cool. We'll, yeah, yeah. It would be ridiculous not to. Uh, David Kohlhauser, I'd get him the fuck out of here. That just yep. that guy. I mean, he he just doesn't work. Because I think what you need to do is you need to play the character of Johns like a hero until he is not. I think everyone knows who I would have cast in this guy Pierce. I love him. I'm love always him. a fan of Guy Pierce at additions to movies. Also, the effects at the beginning of the movie. I mean, uh, if you get some more budget, I'd fix them for a special edition. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, because look, this movie's budget was not a whole lot, so maybe they were just cramming every. You know, they turned to the Robert Rodriguez School of uh, Digital Effects, which is uh, how fast can you make them, I guess. <laughs> I would just say, take some of that footage, though, that you, like, super washed out. Just dial that back. You don't have to change these visual effects. You don't got to send them to Weta or that other place, Industrial Light Magic. Just take the opacity on them and just dial them back a little bit. Final punch-up. At the end of the movie, he goes, Riddick is dead. He died back there on the planet. Ah, I would have paid mm, $50. A ticket to see at the end of this movie if he had gone, Richard P. Riddick is dead. My new name. And then whatever. Just pick a new name. <laughs> like, Jitchard J. Jiddick or something like that. I just, I just so was like, pick a new name. Pick a new name. I don't know why. I was almost screaming that on my TV. Just like, Please pick a new name. But he didn't. Well, with that in mind, because when you said that, I had a thought. I was like, what if he says, Richard P. Richard B. Riddick is dead. Just call me Riddick. Would that do anything for you? <laughs> that would be amazing. My dream wish, though, I think the best possible piece of dialogue there, if he goes, Riddick died back on that planet, call me Vin Diesel. Whoa, that movie was Vin Diesel's origin story. This is how we came to Earth. I got legitimately excited over a punch-up. What the fuck are we doing? That would be so bad. <laughs> Take that for some meta storytelling, Chappie, you piece of shit. Okay, David, well, uh, join me in uh, Punch Mountain Video Store here. As you know, David, it's an all-action movie video store, so we have three copies. We uh, splurged. 
Where, what subsections would you stock these three copies? Okay, my first copy is going to be a bit of a cheat. This movie came out in 2000, but it is so goddamn 90s to me. I'm going to put this in the 90s section. Uh, this is 90s action to me. Would you put it in the 90s action or is it the so GD 90s action? Oh, I'll put it in the so GD 90s action. Because, I mean, I don't know if the Matrix was stocked there, but the Matrix doesn't feel like so GD 90s, but this does. Two GD 90s, really. Oh, like okay. the, the, the video effects and stuff like that, and just a lot of the script touches. It, yeah. So that's one copy. Second copy, you know what? Let's populate that actor's wall. Let's go ahead. Vin Diesel's got enough action movies under his belt. Let's go ahead and do that. Yeah, I think he's an action temple. He can uh, he, he can uh, fit some movies under, under that tent. Um, the n- next one? Hmm. hmm. Creature action. Oh. I, 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 I split. I was going to say survival action since we've already started that category. But uh, this is this fits more in tune with creature action, and we are going to populate that one, too. Yeah, I mean, you could have put it in sci-fi action, but that sounds like it's going to be a pretty big wall. I think creature action is good. I would, I think, uh, I would go ahead and just make its own wall just for the Chronicles of Riddick themselves. I got a feeling we're going to get ninety more of these. Yes, <laughs> David, that is wishful thinking, but you know what? It's like, uh, it's like I'm manifesting it, right? I make the Riddick wall. I leave ten more spaces. Who knows? Maybe five of those get filled. Have I checked to see if they are actually making any more Riddick movies? No. And my promise to you, the viewer, I never will. <laughs> when that first trailer rolls in, I will be Mac surprised. Blake's unfounded male confidence. <sighs> Boom. That's my toxic trait, is I don't care if I'm wrong. Wait, Mac, that's not a funny, <laughs> that's not a funny toxic. You said that like it was going to be something funny. That's a legit a toxic trait. <laughs> You're my lawyer. <laughs> okay, David, it's time for the most important part of the show. Where does Pitch Black fall on Punch Mound, the definitive action movie rankings? A reminder of the current rankings, Raid 2, The Matrix, Prey, Hard Target, The Rock, Cliffhanger, The Driver, Charlie's Angels 2019, Deadly Prey, Poseidon Adventure, and then at the Visitor Center at the very bottom of the mountain, where they, well, actually, at the not even the Visitor Center, it's the uh, the line that says Mountain This Way. Oh, it's, wow. It's, it's the sign that says Mountain Two Miles This Way. It is Chappie. <laughs> it's the parking kiosk. Yes. Where would you put this movie on Punch Mountain, David? If it's me... Probably below Charlie's Angels, I think. Like I said, I had a lot of issues with this movie, but I also don't want to come across like I didn't like this movie. Mm-hmm. I like this movie quite a bit. I like the Riddick character a lot. The production of this movie falls flat with me on a lot of stuff. Um, I think the action could have been more actionier. I think the connection of connective tissue could have been stronger with the characters. Um, so I'd put it. I'd put it a little below Charlie's Angels. What about you? I mean, it's interesting because, you know, uh, we did the Poseidon Adventure last episode, and then we also have the driver on the list. Now, the driver, you know, in terms of action is a little light on it. But when I think about these movies, it's like, what are some standout moments? Do, do the standout moments stand out more? And I feel like they do for Charlie's Angels 2019. Although for the driver, I feel like the driver, it, it, stand, it just feels a little bit more unique than Pitch Black. So I would, I'd probably stick it somewhere around there. Yeah. Oh my goodness, David. Here the rocks come tumbling off the mountain. I see names rearranging golden letters spelling pitch black appear. And sure enough, it appears right below the driver and above Charlie's Angels 2019. That is its current position on Punch Mountain. That's good. I like it. David, you hear that horn? That is the uh, horn calling us to action. On this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. And this month, we're spotlighting The Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and mental health organization for LGBTQ young people 
offering free 24-7 confidential crisis intervention services. After each episode this month, after each episode this month, Punch Mound will be making a small donation to the Trevor Project. And for every review we get on iTunes, we'll add $1 to that donation. You know, up to a certain amount in case any um, Lex Luthers out there think they've found our weakness. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on air. For more information on the Trevor Project or to donate directly to them, visit trevorproject.org. Hey, David, we actually got some reviews to read here, too. Hell yeah. Uh, Voltaic Ass, which I think is my friend Dustin. <laughs> Shout out, you weirdo. Uh, no, he says, action movie dork out, five stars. As a longtime action movie aficionado, this podcast seems like it was made for me. Mac and David are really funny, and reliving some of the greatest action movies in history every week is a blast. Give this a spin unless you're a friggin' loser. Oh, Voltaic Ass, you are correct, sir. S-A-T-X-A-T-X says, great stuff. Hilarious podcast with some of Austin's funniest. Thank you for existing. If you haven't listened, you're missing out. Thank you, S-A-T-X-A-T-X. That's awesome. Thank you. And then from Liza with an L, uh, they, uh, they say, excellent. I love this podcast because not only is it a good recommendation for action movies, it also warns me about scenes in which I need to close my eyes, the wolf and snake scene and pray. But most importantly, it's hilarious. Love me some Mac and David. Hmm. Thank you for all your kind words and the rev- uh, for the reviews, and we will be giving uh, an extra dollar to our uh, monthly donation for those. But Liza brings up a good point because David, I'm definitely a wuss when it comes to some of these mm-hmm. things. Any you know, like animal cruelty, or any sort of uh, you know what I honestly can't handle needle drug use. Sure, in a movie, yeah, yeah. Like I can see a man's head get cut off, but he's like, I'm going to shoot up, and they show the needle going into the arm. I'm like doing the uh, hot finger, like hey, 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 like the hot fingers <laughs> for that for uh, you know good five minutes. So you know what? We're, maybe from now on we're gonna start including some wuss warnings. Uh, okay, like an alarm <laughs> we... or something. Like, a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll find a sound effect that's really humiliating you. No, <laughs> yeah, I mean no, it, it's good to know those things. Especially it's good to know if if certain animals die because I know some people that is a deal breaker for them. For sure, I'm gl- I'm glad we're providing a service. Yeah, if you haven't seen Banshees of Insurance and you love tiny donkeys, don't see the movie. Thank you. And that will be the show for this week, folks. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. Mac Blake Comedy is your source for Mac stand-up next week, directed by James Cameron from 1991. It's Terminator 2. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sweated Oof, it out we a can't little run, we, can't, we can't run from these classics, David. We got to take them on. Yeah, it should be a fun one. We'll see you next week, Mac. Bye, bye.